Good afternoon. Everybody had lunch? That's food coma. <laughs> like perfect time to have a security presentation, right? <laughs> um, so I'm Prerit Garg. I'm the general manager for identity directory and access services at AWS. Um, been doing this for 20 plus years. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, so, okay, there we go. So, so there, there are about three things I want to cover today. Uh, first is I want to give you a set of real-world examples for how customers are deploying identity and access services for their use cases. And my hope by giving you a few uh, customer examples is that you know, uh, if you are trying to figure out how to build your identity and access systems uh, for your applications, Hopefully, these patterns can help you um, with ideas on how to build your particular services. So um, a lot of us learn through patterns, so hopefully these patterns will sort of give you some examples. Um, uh, following those uh, examples, I'll sort of walk you through quickly through the various services we have. Um, it's not intended to be a deep dive into the services. It's just to give you sort of a landscape uh, so that when you go off the session uh, and you want to dive into it, uh, you have a little bit of a roadmap of figuring out, okay, which services do I want to dive in? Yeah. Um, and then in the end, I want to kind of give you a blueprint, a mental model of how uh, you should think about these different pieces that are required to build a good identity and access solution uh, for your applications or your infrastructure uh, that you're deploying in AWS. Um, a lot of times I hear, um, say, hey, there are lots of moving pieces, lots of moving parts. I don't know where to get started. Uh, so my hope is that the blueprint will give you essentially um, a framework that you can use as you go build your solutions. Uh, how many of folks in the room are uh, consider themselves as sort of identity and ac access experts? And how many of you would consider yourselves as novices in trying to figure out what you need to do? Okay, um, so hopefully the session is useful and, um, and gives you a place to get started. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we say in AWS all the time is uh, there is no compression algorithm uh, to experience. And, um, you know, 11 plus years of journey building the cloud, uh, we've learned a lot. And one of the things we've learned is that each of our customer goes through their own unique journey um, when they're moving to the cloud or adopting the cloud. Um, and, that, uh, you know, and that's a humbling experience to watch each of our customers going and figuring out uh, what their deployments are going to look like, what their applications are going to look like. Um, and that has guided us in many ways of how we built our services, how we um, provide those APIs, uh, how we provide security features. Uh, to give you a few examples of those, uh, let's get started. So General Electric, um, one, of, one of the largest corporations in the, in the world, um, is deploying in AWS. Um, a lot of applications, their goal is to move all in on AWS. So how are they going about it? Right? Uh, now, this is a company that's uh, very old, hundreds of years old, and, and clearly they have lots of applications, they have lots of infrastructure that they already run. They have lots of data centers they already run. And so 
as they were thinking about moving to the cloud, um, one of the first things they thought about is, well, how do they build a common platform that all their teams can use as they move to the cloud? Um, and of course, as they're thinking about that, um, they have a lot of existing infrastructure, and a lot of that existing infrastructure uses Active Directory. Um, and so it was imperative for them uh, to build their Active Directory infrastructure for identity and access pieces in the AWS cloud. Uh, now, they could have chosen to have deployed their own uh, deployments of Active Directory, uh, but they decided that that's not what they wanted to do. They did not want to manage domain controllers. They did not want to keep them patched, um, monitor replication. So they chose to use our managed Active Directory service uh, to, do, to build out their identity and access infrastructure. Um, because with um, AWS Directory service for managed Microsoft Active Directory, they can actually just simply set up a trust relationship back to their on-premises Active Directory and have essentially all of the security infrastructure they need in terms of authentication and authorizing access. Uh, and so now they can enable and start migrating workloads, building new applications, leveraging the same infrastructure uh, that they, need, they already had. And without having to manage any of the infrastructure in the cloud, right? And then they can slowly over time decide to migrate off of what they have on premises. This clicker is a little slow. TIPCO, a very different uh, example, building cloud native applications. So a lot of their teams had organically gone and created AWS accounts, deployed AWS resources, and started building those applications. Uh, and now they were looking at how do they bring those pieces uh, into some sort of a governance uh, model so that they can um, put some guardrails around how their developers were building those applications, what security policies they wanted to configure around that, and then how do they automate a lot of these pieces so that as more teams go build new applications, um, they had that same framework in place. So in their case, they ended up using AWS organizations um, to create essentially an organization of all of their AWS accounts and set up service control policies to control what services and what APIs were available to these developers in different AWS accounts. Uh, so very different sort of situation, very different use case. And then Hixme uh, is, a, is one of our customers. They provide um, employee benefits and insurance services um, to businesses. So they were out there wanting to build a cloud-native application uh, for their customers, uh, where their customers could log in and access um, their application and their resources and manage customer-sensitive information in, th in their application. Um, so as part of building their application, which included a mobile front end, they chose Amazon Cognito as their solution for identity and access. Uh, Amazon Cognito gives them an ability to have a user pool or a user directory that could scale to millions of identities. Uh, so they don't have to manage their own directory. Uh, they can just use Amazon Cognito to manage and scale their directory. Their developers don't have to think about how to secure the data. They don't have to think about security protocols. They don't have to think about how to sign in, develop sign in and sign up, because Cognito comes with built-in sign in and sign up capabilities. Not only that, they decided to build a serverless, serverless application uh, using AWS Lambda. So, uh, as you can sort of see, um, very different use cases, very different scenarios, and very different sets of services getting used to build these 
uh, applications and these infrastructure are. Um, not only that, so you see lots of variety of uh, cases that we see with our customers. A couple of more examples I'll point out uh, in there. We have a customer which is a large restaurant chain, and they wanted to build out a brand new application using the cloud, um, which was focused on deploying IoT devices in their restaurants. And in that particular case, they decided to use Amazon Cloud Directory uh, because they wanted to build out a repository for these IoT devices and control access to, to these IoT devices. So they had a very unique case, and we had a, the, just the right service for them to build out a hierarchical uh, catalog of their IoT devices and control access to these devices. Now, uh, and I'll give you one more just to kind of sort of have some of these juices flowing for each of you. Um, we have a pharmaceutical company that wanted to move to virtual desktops, and they decided to use Amazon Workspaces. They used an Active Directory connector to connect back to their on-premises Active Directory to enable single sign-on to workspaces for their employees. So lots of different use cases and lots of different services that they take advantage of to build out uh, identity and access for those use cases. As well as the slide gives you a feel for it, you could be building a mobile or a web application. You know, you might have regulatory or compliance requirements. You may be a Windows guy uh, using Active Directory. You may be a Linux guy using LDAP. Um, you might want to use managed services because you don't want to manage the infrastructure. Or you may want to build your own infrastructure out. And AWS has, at AWS, we've been very sensitive to all these different use cases. And our goal has been to provide you a set of building blocks or services that you can use to enable your use cases. So as you look at these use cases, what you find is sort of these common patterns that emerge. Um, applications want to authenticate users. Um, and sometimes they want to authenticate other devices uh, or other code. Um, they want to authorize access. Of course, you want to only do authentication because you want to ultimately and do access control. And then you have governance and audit requirements to ensure uh, that you're meeting the policies uh, for your business or your vertical in the industry. So there's a plethora of services um, that we have available for your use, right? Um, not only in the identity and directory space, but also a bunch of security services, cryptography services. Um, in the hour or so that I have, 45 minutes now, I'm going to focus just on identity and directory services. Uh, there are many other sessions that are happening at the conference that you can go to to dive into many of the security services as well as our cryptographic services like KMS and Certificate Manager. So just looking at the identity directory and access services, um, so our core service in, in this space is IAM, Identity and Access Management Service. Um, IAM is at the foundation of AWS in terms of providing you authentication and access to AWS resources. IAM operates at individual AWS accounts. So if you want to control access to AWS resources, the service you're going to use is AWS IAM. Yeah. Then earlier this year, we added AWS organizations. What we found is as more and more customers uh, expanded their use of AWS, they were creating many accounts uh, for a bunch of reasons. 
Uh, one of the most common reason tends to be they want to isolate different applications that they're developing. They want to isolate the teams and want to give them that uh, decoupled approach to building out their applications. And AWS accounts give them essentially those isolated containers. But then you run into this problem, now I have hundreds of accounts. And well, how do I centrally manage hundreds of accounts? And that's where AWS organizations uh, helps you in terms of putting all these accounts into essentially an account directory, um, and then be able to set a policy on these accounts uh, where you can say which services are available for your product accounts versus which services can be used by your developer accounts. And you can allow developers to play in their sandboxes while building applications, but be much more stringent about what they can do in the production accounts. And then we have AWS Directory Service, which is essentially a bridge, which gives you a bridge uh, to migrate your Active Directory-based workloads, um, because it offers you a managed Active Directory that you can set up as a resource domain that sets up trust relationship back to your on-premises Active Directory, or you can set it up as a primary domain in AWS and manage your users right in uh, AWS Cloud. Now, if you have Windows-based workloads or you have Microsoft-based work workloads, you get a full Active Directory capability uh, with that. And it scales to as many domain controllers so that you can actually have use cases um, fully running in AWS Cloud. Then we have Amazon Cognito. If you're building a cloud-native application, uh, particularly fa to facing customers where you want to allow customers to sign up, authenticate, and get access to your application use cases, Amazon Cognito is our service that gives you many features. It gives you a user directory that can scale to millions of identities, so uh, you don't have to manage it. It takes care of securing the data on disk. It takes care of uh, um, appropriate authentication protocols, sign-up experiences. Um, and then it also enables you to federate social identities like Facebook and Twitter uh, and so on. So if you're building a customer-facing application, uh, Amazon Cognito uh, is something that you should look at. And then finally, we have Amazon Cloud Directory, uh, which is also a service we launched earlier this year. And it is our general purpose directory service where if none of the other services meet your needs and you need to build a directory for your use cases, for example, the IoT use case I talked about, where the customer has to store hierarchical data that is specific to their application and needs to do uh, access control and management and policies with that, then you can use the Amazon Cloud Directory uh, and build, that's, build your application out from ground up. In fact, Amazon Cloud Directory is the foundation that many of our own services take advantage of as well. Yeah. Okay, so um, let me actually go back quickly. So earlier, just to give you a little bit of feel for, as you probably already know, we constantly iterate on our services. Uh, I want to give you a couple of examples of things that we've recently launched so you have an idea. Uh, in the context of AWS IAM, we re recently launched our visual point-and-click editor. So if you're writing IAM policies and trying to figure out how to write JSON, well, you don't have to anymore. Uh, you can use our point-and-click point -click editor, which makes it super easy for you to create an IAM policy just for your use cases. Somebody, I see some nodding heads, so it looks like some, some of the folks have played with it. Um, in the context of AWS Directory Service, uh, we launched our um, Microsoft Managed Active Directory Standard Edition. 
We had had an enterprise edition, which was um, 40 cents a domain, um, uh, an hour, and we've just launched uh, the version that is scaled down for SMB scenarios and resource domain scenarios, and it's at 12 cents for two domain controllers, and then you can add as many domain controllers as you want. Um, and that also, many, we've seen many customers uh, immediately take advantage of. So building on that, uh, these launches, let me, oops, I'm going backwards. So in, I'm, I'm super excited to announce some capabilities we are adding to our Amazon Cognito uh, offering. Uh, so this, these will be available later today, uh, so you can actually go play with them. Uh, there are three features we're launching as part of Amazon Cognito. One is we're enabling a risk-based authentication capability uh, so in which Cognito um, will analyze things like location, IP address, time of day, um, multiple logins, various contextual parameters as the logins are happening to your application to determine a risk score. And then you can control at, which risk, at what risk score you want additional authentication to be required from the users. Uh, so if you're building highly sensitive applications and you want additional controls over how much friction um, that the user has to face during authentication, uh, you can take advantage of our risk-based authentication capability. As you can um, imagine, Amazon has been in the business for 20 plus years um, serving consumers. So over the years, we've actually built a lot of insight uh, gathering data across the internet about compromised accounts uh, uh, on our consumer uh, services side. And with Amazon Cognito today, we're offering some of that capability back to you for your applications, where uh, we are getting that data stream about compromised user, uh, user credentials, and we're gonna take advantage of that. So if you're building your application using Cognito, we will use that information so if, if those accounts are compromised and those customers are using your applications, we will protect them from um, your applications getting compromised with those credentials. So we're taking all that data stream that we are getting from the internet about compromised accounts and we're making that available to you for your applications. Um, and finally, we are adding additional uh, authentication factors. So we're adding support for uh, one-time password-based uh, tokens like Google Authenticator as well as Authy. Uh, so if you're building applications and you want your users to have multiple authentication factors, now Cognito enables you to uh, do that as well. So as you look at our services, uh, one of the things uh, you, you, uh, I often get this question is, it's like how do we think about our goals for the services we provide to our customers? And and this is important because I think what you'll see is that it'll give you the framework of how we think about our services as we make them available to you. Uh, and then when we talk about the blueprint, uh, you can apply some of these ideas. So we really have three fundamental goals when we are trying to build our services. The first goal we have is that we want to provide you security that is better than you can get anywhere else, right? On-premises, in other places. Right? or you could have done it yourself. The second is, as I said earlier, we've seen over and over again that customers have very unique needs. So we want to build services that are flexible, 
that meet our customers where they are in terms of solving the problems they need to solve, rather than trying to get our customers to adapt to us. Uh, we want to adapt to our customer needs. And finally, uh, we want our services to be comprehensive so that you can get started quickly, but then as you scale and your use cases get more sophisticated, uh, we have the capabilities to meet those sophisticated needs. So let's dig into each of these goals a little bit to, in the context of our services and ask the question, um, how are we actually delivering against these goals? So the first one is sort of this notion of giving you better security than you could have gotten anywhere else. Um, you know, I used to have a colleague um, 20 years ago, and he used to say that all security starts in the back alley with two, uh, you know, two people in black jackets exchanging a secret. Right? And so a lot of security boils down to credentials. Right? Security starts with exchanging of a secret, and those secrets become the most valuable foundation to how you build the security system. So it's very important to, how, to think about how do we secure these credentials um, if you're going to give you better security. So, and then when you think about uh, these credentials, there are two types of credentials that most, um, most of times we run into. One are credentials that are, that are controlled by humans, so uh, things like passwords or MFA factors. And then there are credentials that are typically associated with network services. Right? Um, over the years, we've gotten better and better with uh, user credentials, though I still think that passwords are the weakest link, but at least we've added multiple factors, we've started doing risk analysis, so we've gotten better around protecting user credentials. One of the areas that has severely lacked, if, if you were uh, back 10 years ago building um, network services, you would be forced to embed credentials, right? Like, I don't know how many times we found uh, credentials getting compromised because somebody's embedded a, a password or an access key right in their code. Right? We still find embarrassed situations where people have them actually checked into GitHub. With AWS, we took a, a, a major step um, with providing short-term credentials. Uh, it was our fundamental goal that you never have to embed uh, credentials for your code. Right? And so if you are doing that today, I highly encourage you to look at IAM roles, uh, which issue automatically issue short-term credentials to your code running on EC2 instances, Lambda functions, containers, right? And you don't have to embed credentials in your code. It, the credentials are rotated every hour, and so you definitely won't want to get embarrassed with having long-term credentials found in your source code. So, so that's one area where we've taken major strides. Another example is um, kind of providing you multi-factor authentication as well as single sign-on capability so you can use your corporate credentials and the policies and protections you already have in place with respect to human credentials um, with single sign-on. Then there's protection using data encryption and right, cryptography. Um, so data at rest or data in transit. Uh, so we have cryptographic services that enable you to protect data, um, both at rest and in the cloud. Then we want to enable you to build secure applications of your own. So providing things like Cognito uh, about giving you a scalable, secure store where you don't have to think about how to 
secure the credentials of your users or how you secure authentication protocols where you can just use the capabilities right off uh, and your developers don't have to figure out a lot of the intricacies of cryptography or authentication protocols. Um, you can take advantage of those services. Another area we've kind of innovated is around access control. Uh, I am policies are probably the most granular access control policies you would find anywhere. Um, they're not just the read-write permissions. You can, on a per-API basis, control who is allowed to call which API. Not only that, you can also contextualize the APIs and say which IP address they can call from. Does the MFA get required? Um, at what time of day you can call these APIs? So you get a lot of granularity and control over which APIs are allowed and by whom. Uh, and to whom. And lastly, right, with organizations, we're now giving you controls over how you manage um, access across many different accounts uh, as well, so that you can have governance and audit, you can meet those governance and audit requirements. In terms of flexibility, as I said earlier, we want to meet you where you are. We want to meet you, we want to give you choices that actually deliver on the services that you are trying to build. So we want to give you choice on identity. We don't have a, a strong view that you should use IAM identities. We want to enable you, if you already have a corporate directory and you already have uh, your own corporate policies, we want you to enable you to federate those identities into AWS. Um, so if, what it, in terms of directories, you can use Active Directory, you can use IAM, you can use Cognito, you can use, use Cloud Directory and build your own solution. So you, we give you choices um, depending, depending on your use case and the problem you're trying to solve. Um, in terms of federating itself, we give you choices. You can do SAML-based federation, or you can just set up Kerberos Trust with Active Directory running in AWS with your Active Directory running on-premises. Um, you can run our managed offerings like Cloud Directory or Cognito or managed Active Directory, or you can build your own um, solution on top of EC2. And finally, um, the services being comprehensive. Uh, we, we do want to enable you to get started quickly. Um, and, you know, one of the challenges with providing comprehensive services is there are too many knobs and there are too many options. And, and that can be a fairly overwhelming experience if you're getting started with a lot of these capabilities. Uh, so one of the things we've done over the last few years is we want to provide you templates. Uh, we want to provide you managed policies right off the box for different job functions like database administrator so you don't have to figure out what policy to grant. Um, so you can just use the canned policies that are available. And like I told you, we recently launched the visual editor. And with visual editor, uh, you can craft your policy with simple point and click experience. Uh, so you can start doing customizations um, slowly based on your need. And then you can go as deep as you want and get all of the richness, um, the more expert and the more fine-grained your needs become. Um, so that's a, one area of sort of giving you that entire spectrum, uh, starting quickly with simple things and then be able to expand and, and grow in the cloud and get all the sophistication you need. Another example of that that you can sort of see there um, is sort of visibility into who has access to what. We have capabilities um, with both with IAM uh, as well as with CloudRail. You can actually see 
who accessed what capability. So, and you can go into the IAM console, and it'll show you who was the user that last accessed which API. And you get all of that information right in the console. OK. At this point, I've, I want to kind of switch gears. I want to dive into a mental model I want to give you, because I get this question so many times. It's like, oh, there are all these different services. I don't know where to get started huh? and how to use these different services. So uh, I want to take a few minutes and give you a, what I think is a fairly simple framework and that you can use to think about all the different facets of identity and access in your environment. And then, of course, in each of these pieces, you can drill as deep as you want, and you can get all the capabilities you want. But hopefully, as you walk out of here, this simple framework will sort of set the tone into how you dig deeper into many of these services and how you use many of these services. So this simple framework has essentially three components. Um, you can think of them as three pillars. You can think of them as three layers. Uh, I think of them as three pillars, uh, simply because how I think about building my application layers out. Um, so the first one is about how do you protect access to your AWS infrastructure itself, right? That's sort of the first layer, is who has access uh, to your AWS accounts and AWS resources, like S3 buckets or EC2 resource, uh, EC2 instances or DynamoDB tables. Uh, and this is typically your developers or IT pros, right? That's typically the set of users who will have access to um, manage and create AWS infrastructure. Um, so there are many different scenarios there. Uh, for example, how does your developer use AWS CLI um, to enumerate EC2 instances or create EC2 instances? How does your secu security uh, ops engineer create a Lambda function to audit um, the configuration across your accounts? So those are examples of um, people within your organization that are responsible for managing uh, as well as creating uh, your e AWS infrastructure. The next pillar is about the code that is part of your application, right? How does that code access other AWS infrastructure? So typically, you'd be write, writing an application that's running on EC2 instances or containers uh, or creating Lambda functions. And these pieces of autonomous code has its own identity, and it is accessing DynamoDB tables, uh, or it's accessing S3 buckets, right, or Kinesis streams. And so this autonomous code is also making API calls. So how do you manage identity and access for this autonomous code that's part of your application? So that's pillar number two. Pillar number three is your application itself enabling access to its users, right? So those users could be employees, in which case you want to authenticate them using their corporate identities. These users could be customers, in which case you may be signing them up to your and giving them application-specific identity and controlling access using that. Right? So there are various scenarios in terms of enabling access to your application itself. Okay? So three pillars. Like who manages the infrastructure and how do you control that? How do you control the access of the code that's part of your application, the autonomous code that needs to access the infrastructure? And then how do you manage access to your application, to the users that need to get access to your application? So that's, those are the three things that you should, if you walk out of this session, there's one thing I want you to walk away, is that's it. 
you want to think about those three things. Uh, and then figure out, okay, what's your solution for each of those three things? And I'll give you um, some of them right here. So the first one is, okay, how do you want to enable your developers and your IT professionals in, in your organization so, to manage your, their AWS infrastructure, your AWS infrastructure, right? So there are a couple of ways you can do that. Um, the most common and most recommended way would be if you already have your corporate directory, typically Active Directory, or uh, some other SAML-enabled identity uh, directory, then you should federate into AWS. Right? Uh, the nice thing about that is that your users, your IT pros and developers, can use their corporate credentials when accessing applications as well as when accessing AWS and managing AWS infrastructure. Right? Less credentials to manage means generally more security. Right? Um, so that is simpler, it's safer. Um, that way when you know, hiding and fighting happens inside your organization, those credentials uh, are removed and the access is immediately revoked. So you want to choose to federate into AWS. Uh, if that is an option, that's where you want to go. Uh, and another nice thing about using uh, SAML-based federation into AWS accounts is that the credentials that they get when they access AWS accounts are fairly short-lived. These are short-lived credentials using the same technology I talked about, IAM roles. And so these credentials uh, expire, right? And the expiry of these credentials is either one hour or whatever you choose to configure. By default, it's one hour. So they're short-lived credentials, and so you, the risk of compromise is significantly reduced. You can, of course, if you don't have a corporate directory, you can, of course, use IAM users. IAM does give you uh, user capability as well, and you can, at that point, I'll recommend setting up an IAM password policy, setting up MFA and other things using IAM, right? So those are your choices. Try to federate in um, so that you can use IAM more for permissions management um, and allowing users to use their corporate credentials, or use IAM for users as well as permissions management um, if you don't have a corporate directory. So fairly simple set of choices for the first pillar, right? Users accessing your IT pros, your developers accessing and managing AWS infrastructure. And with IAM, you get fairly granular permissions. Um, if you don't know much about permissions, just use the default permission sets we have made available to you. Uh, you can use the point-and-click visual editor to customize them and slowly get comfortable with these permissions. Um, and then as your use cases get more sophisticated, you can get fairly granular. Um, the next pillar, right, your application code, the code that's running on EC2 instance, the code that's running in containers, the code that's running as Lambda functions. How do you give that code access to AWS resources, like DynamoDB tables, S3 buckets? Guess what? Very similar, right? Um, you can create IAM roles, attach them to EC2 instances, attach them to containers, attach them to Lambda functions, and you don't have to manage any credentials whatsoever. AWS will automatically plumb new credentials every hour to this autonomous code. And if you're using the AWS SDK, those credentials are automatically plumbed, and the, your code can just make the API call, and it'll have the right role in which that code will make the call to that API. 
right? So all you have to now focus on is what permissions you want to grant that code, right? So if you're writing a code that should just have access to the DynamoDB table, you can set up that permission just for that piece of code. If you have another piece of code that does log aggregation and needs to write to S3 bucket, you can just set the permission for that. Um, so again, there really is one choice, right? Use IAM roles so that they get short-term credentials and you can focus on permissions. And you, these roles work with all of the compute capabilities we have with AWS. So that's the pillar number two. Pillar number three, right? Users that are accessing your applications. These could be your customers. These could be your employees accessing some productivity application that you've built. So again, there's one primary choice that we would recommend. Of course, this is an area where you could choose to build it on your own. If you have your own uh, solution that you want to go build, our recommendation would be that you should at least look at Amazon Cognito, uh, especially if you're building scalable customer-facing application where you're expecting to have millions of users signing up and accessing your application. Then Cognito gives you a, a scalable cloud-native directory um, where, which can scale to millions of users. You don't have to worry about scale. Uh, you don't have to worry about how you're going to sustain the TPS. Um, and it also takes care of securing the data on disk. It takes care of uh, authentication protocols. It takes care of uh, secure protocols for how cu your customers reset their credentials, sign up and sign in. Uh, so it, it's a f fairly straightforward way of building your application to take advantage of Amazon Cognito. And some of the features that we launched allow you to enhance the security that your customers experience with risk-based uh, adaptive authentication, for example. If you're, if you're building an application that is targeting your internal employees, uh, then you have to use whatever your corporate directory. I would recommend using the authentication mechanism provided through your corporate directory. Right? In typical cases, that's Active Directory. And you could do, if you're building it on top of Windows or Linux, you can take advantage of standard Kerberos-based authentication capabilities that are available to you. Right? But if you're building a cloud-native application targeting customers, in many cases, you could build the application targeting your employees using SAML-based authentication. If you're building a SaaS-style application, a web-based application, then Cognito gives you SAML-based inbound authentication as well. So you can allow your employees to authenticate uh, into the, uh, your application via SAML as well. Right? And if you're using, if you want to enable Facebook, Twitter, some of the social identities, Cognito gives you those capabilities as well. So, um, so if you're building a, your own application and need to do authentication, you should consider looking at Cognito because it'll solve many of your problems. So to summarize, right, we are very cognizant that each of your journeys is unique, right? Your needs are unique. Um, what you want to go build uh, has its own characteristics. Your constraints are different. So that's why we provide you lots of tools in the toolbox uh, that you can take advantage of to solve your specific problems. Um, uh, we want you to, to help you build applications that clearly are more secure than the AWS product. We don't want you to embed credentials in your application. Please use short-term credentials um, because that will make your applications more secure, as an example. Right. So there are many other sessions. 
that you can go to, right? Um, to dive deep into many of the things I talked about. There are also um, uh, sort of fo follow-ups we can do uh, if you want to kind of meet me. We have some time. Uh, I'm happy to actually take questions, even though uh, I don't think I was expected to take questions, but I'm happy to take questions because it, uh, we have some time left. Um, and then we'll have a page available later today um, that actually sort of summarizes the session and, all, and specifically the three pillars, the mental model I talked about in terms of how you should think about the different fa facets of identity and authentication and access control for your application. Happy to take questions. Anybody? Oh, go ahead. So this is, when you say role-based access, this is for users that are going to authenticate, or? Within Amazon? Um, so you can, um, I don't know specifically about Kubernetes, but Kubernetes is just running containers. Uh, and so you can assign IAM roles um, to those containers. and. Once you assign IAM roles, those credentials are automatically populated. And then you can grant permissions, right? So these are IAM roles. So it is sort of role-based access control where it will get a specific role with a set of permissions. That... So your question is, um, do we have any plans for enabling certificate-based authentication to, for users? So this is client authentication, like SSL client auth. Client and service accounts. So we've not specifically created any plans around that. So I'd love to understand your use case of what you're trying to solve. Most of the certificate-based authentication capabilities we have are server uh, authentication type scenarios where you know, TLS kind of scenarios. We've not had specific asks around uh, client certificates, per se. Now, there are uh, things we are doing in the context of multi-factor auth uh, use cases where you have tokens, and a lot of these tokens tend to have um, you know, cryptographic keys on them. So you're sort of getting PKI-style authentication, but it's not the traditional uh, TLS client auth, right? So if that helps answer your question. That's a great question. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what sort of the score range is. Um, so if I remember, I think it is between up to 100. I think the score is 100, but, but I, don't quote me on that. Um, and it, it, you, it's a good question in terms of how you adjust it, 
right? Um, so you'll have to play around a little bit uh, because it's a use case driven uh, situation. We do provide you some guidelines uh, if you go read up the documentation around where those trigger points are, right? What are the different contexts we are taking advantage of in terms of location, in terms of time of day, multiple authentications. So it'll give a certain risk score so you can essentially on your own terms evaluate what you're comfortable with, right, to set that score. It's gonna do, it does require some tuning though uh, for your use case. So your question is, do we have uh, RBA for B2E yeah. services? When, when you say B2E services, what do you mean? So you can use Cognito for your B2E use case especially if you're, uh, if you're doing SAML-based authentication of your employees. And at that point, RBA will be available to you. Is that a different way you're authenticating? So the question is, how are you authenticating your employees? Um, I can't imagine how we would give you an RBA without also sort of doing the authentication, right? It's so much wired into the authentication system. Um, like, we are exploring enabling RBA for authenticating to AWS, right, um, uh, through AWS sign-in capabilities. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily meet your needs. Uh, Cognito would be our answer for using, even if you're doing SAML-based authentication, right? It, it's sort of wired into the authentication protocol. Yeah. I I wouldn't know that answer to that question, uh, but Arturo, do you know? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So two, two questions, right? So let me kind of paraphrase those questions. So one question is, how flexible is the RBA capability, risk-based authentication capability, where you, as part of the authentication, it can, it make a, you can make a call out, say, to a Lambda function, right, um, to go do additional validation before you succeed the call. So that's one piece. The other piece is, um, Within the application logic, when the application logic is running where the user is downloading hundreds of gigabytes of data, right, 
uh, can you subsequently trigger the risk pay, right? So, so the answer to the first one, I believe, is yes, right? You can customize it because Cognito generally supports um, kind of plugging in your adapters, if you will. Um, the second question, at that point, the logic is in your code, right? Um, I, I don't know how we intercept that logic. At that point, you can call the same adapters that you're running, right? Because only you know that something strange is happening at that point because it's part of your application logic. Go ahead. So, sorry, what's the context? Break glass accounts. Uh huh. So this is you are running a federation server. I'm just trying to understand. So you're running a federation server. And it's running in some account, AWS account, right? Or running with some identity, um, and and it goes down. So you need to go fix that. The master key. So we typically we typically tell you that um, for root accounts on root users on all AWS accounts, you should protect them with MFA, right? You should absolutely, and you should secure that MFA away, right, into a box so that. Um, the golden rule is you should use physical tokens for protecting the break glass count, right? Ideally, a two-person rule. Um, two-person rule becomes hard because we today, at least in AWS, don't give you two keys uh, to authenticate. Yes, you can have the password in one person's control and, and the MFA key in the other person's control. Go ahead. Uh, any reasons why the number of attached policies are kept to 10? So the question is, what is the reason why we keep the attached policies to principles to 10? We increased that number to 20 recently. So, but the question is still valid. Um, so so the, there are a couple of technical reasons. One of the reasons is that um, uh, AWS IAM has to scale to millions of customers and millions of customer needs, right? So what happens is that when we authenticate the requests, you can imagine we're authenticating trillions of requests coming in for every single API call across AWS. And these decisions have to be done in milliseconds, right? Sub-milliseconds in cases, right, if you're making calls. And if we allow the policies to get too large, the latency on these calls is going to go up, right? So one of them is just a fundamental constraint on how do we ensure that our APIs authenticate and authorize access very, very quickly. Like, imagine DynamoDB call taking uh, several milliseconds to complete, right? So that puts some 
real constraints for us in terms of how much we allow. So every time we increase those limits on a per principle basis, we, we have to do extensive testing to make sure that we don't create a latency issue for all of AWS APIs, right? So that's a primary constraint. And, and so we've been increasing those limits as the Moore's law allows for more compute capability and more scale out, right, for us. Sorry, can you? Yeah. So if we reach to like a limit on any role or any other IAM object, or what is the recommendation? We should split it out, or how we should proceed with that? Yeah, I would. Uh, so that's a that's a good question. So I would ask the question: Why does why do you have a principle that needs too many permissions, right? And if it does, right, can you? How do you sort of consolidate your permissions? Uh, in ways. By the way, you can use the forum to reach out to us. If you want to share your JSON files, we are happy to make recommendations on how you can actually shrink the policies. Um, yeah, usually what we find is that um, uh, there must be something going wrong in terms of the, how you're setting up your policy, um, where you are maybe granting too many things, right, or being um, too granular in some cases and causing the policies to explode, right? Uh, usually we are able to, wherever we run into those cases, usually we are able to uh, help you right? either factor the policies up in such a way that you don't have that problem. Go ahead. So, uh, currently there's like kind of different levels of granularity you can have with IAM policies. For example, S3 has resource-based policies and then his resource level and then I guess service level is what I call them. Is there any plan to support more resource-based policies? So like, you can do very granular control for S3, but not the same for DynamoDB and a lot of other services. What are the plans about maybe adding those in the future? Is that plan? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and actually a valid criticism, I'll sort of say. Um, we've, we hear that from customers. The way, the way AWS is organized and the way we operate is, um, while it, uh, my teams provide a common set of services like authentication and authorization, every AWS service is independently making decisions about how many, what features and what capability they want to support. Of course, we go after them to make sure they are consistent, but at the end of the day, they make decisions about whether they want to support resource level permissions or not, because they have to do work on their side. And some of our more mature services, like S3, um, have seen customers make requests that they want granular policies, and they go do the work and they support those policies. Some of our newer services um, haven't yet sort of heard those requirements, and they've chosen not to pro add those capabilities, and they may over time, right? One of the things we are looking at starting, doing, starting next year is how do we drive consistency across AWS services so that they're consistently supporting a set of features like resource-based policies. Um, but it is an effort that we have to drive with all of AWS service teams uh, because they are independent owners of their businesses and they make those decisions. So you should provide that feedback to the services that you would like to see, and then we will help push your case with those service teams.
So with command line, so what you can do is you can get a short-term credential and, uh, and pass it to the command line. It's just another access key secret key. Maybe I'm not understanding your question. So the command line is just a, think of it as a, a, a command shell, right, that makes API calls. The command line just is essentially an in, API invoker for you, right? And so it sets up the context using the credentials you provide to it. And after that, you make calls, right? And you can make the, so it sort of uses the SDK underneath to make the API calls. I'd love to know more what the issues are. Yeah. So if if you have specific things, you can definitely send us feedback, right? And. Uh, I do know of one limitation we do have in the command line where the, the, for federation specifically that the credentials are only valid for an hour, uh, whereas we've done the work on the console side where if your federation system sets, gives us a SAML token with 12-hour life, then the se that session will stay alive for 12 hours. That is not true with the console today, or with the command line today, and that is the work we are planning to do. Go ahead. So you, your federation, whatever is your federation proxy, will have to sort of make the assume role call and give you the short-term credentials, um, if that makes sense, right? So, um, so I don't know your specific scenario. If you do have a, a federation proxy that users can uh, use their corporate credentials to access, and then it issues them a short-term credential that they can use with the CLI. That's when you say automated, how would you like to see that automated? Oh, is this for, uh, so what you can do is, typically what you'll have is some sort of a web page that your federation proxy supports, right, for the users to use their corporate credentials to log in. And then from there, you could support sort of an invocation of the CLI with the credentials plumbed, right? We've, I've seen some customers do that, where um, essentially it'll um, create, fork a session, right? A command session, and then it's got the credentials plumbed. It's good for an hour. So, so you can do things like that, right? Because it is on their client, it's on their desktop, right? And, and the browser. So that's one of the ways you can do that. Go ahead. Uh, Risk-based factors. Sorry, I sorry I didn't get. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's it's already built into Cognito. So if you use the built-in sign-in and sign-up pages, uh, it will automatically do that for you. Uh, 
Right? If, you dis if you decide to just use the API, Cognito API, and have your own sign-up and sign-in page, then uh, the API will return you parameters that you can then use to and create that experience. Cool? We ended up using all the time. Thank you, guys.